We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. Alrighty, this is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. Coming at you live following night brewing company here on Tuesday. I'm joined by all of you people. This is crazy. This is crazy. Thank you uh, for being here. Obviously, joined by Britt Robson from Mimpost as well. Um, again, thank you guys all for being here. Uh, I think a ton of excitement around this team this year, and it's it's cool for us. I've uh, covered a lot of bad teams Brit obviously a lot more bad teams than I have and uh we're both we're both really excited about this so Brit, how are you I'm well you as are always well. as always uh what we're gonna do tonight just because I feel like we've talked about the same team for I don't know since July when the go bear trade happened we're gonna we have a third mic here so we're just gonna let people kind of come up ask a question whatever whatever's on your mind we'll dig into that but while you're thinking of a question, again, just walk right up here. There's a chair, third mic right there. Uh, Britt, I think the question right now kind of surrounding this group is we do not have Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert um, on the floor tonight for this game. Right. Probably not for the next few games. Uh, how important is that? Depends on your time frame. I mean, it's important in the next two weeks, maybe even this next month. They signed Gobert for a four-year project. Um, they've got Cat for five. They can sign McDaniels and Ant on the rookie deal. If you look at it that way, a month's delay isn't terrible. If you're looking at it as, you know, what's the 22-23 season, if they happen to drop a couple of games against a very, very forgiving schedule starting sure. early because they're not in sync and they have a big who plays defensive one way and another big who plays defense another way, and they can't get them on the floor together in sync playing well, and they lose to bad teams, then that's an impact. Yeah, I think that's ultimately kind of the question as we go in here is they're not going to, as, as we've been saying on the pod, is like it's, it's in the weeds, but it's the nature of, of Rudy Gobert. You're adding a defensive player, not necessarily an offensive player, and how you put a defensive structure around a player like that is so critical particularly as you shift Carl to a new position. And as we've gathered here in the first week of training camp, like they are going to toggle between different ways of guarding, using 
when Rudy's on the floor, when when Carl's on the floor at center, like the more I think about it, I'm I my my concerns about Carl are not about him playing power forward. It's about what they are going to do when Rudy is off the floor and how Carl is going to be able to function in that and how this group is going to be able to toggle back and forth. And as we want to talk about 50, 55 or more wins, I think like the continuity of being able to flip that switch on and off with Rudy and Carl is ultimately going to define so much of this season. I don't worry about Carl at the level simply because I think that um, he played it well last year. It fits his self-image as somebody who can be both a big and mobile. Um, I worry about Carl being a four in the modern NBA where everything is swing, swing, four or five out. Uh, the ball moves faster than people's feet, and um, you've got to stop them. Um, what about Skinny Cat, though? <laughs> well... I think Skinny Cat, like so many things about Carl, is part good and part not so good. You know, I mean, I think that um, I think playing without a shirt to say how skinny he was wasn't an in shape thing. It was look at me, I've endured another trauma thing. So, um, I, I do think I, I don't think you you weren't there yesterday, but we did get the chance to kind of watch Carl move on the floor and just the way he was playing or working. I mean, we watched Carl shoot hundreds of maybe thousands of shots and warmups. And it was always so like his pregame warmup drill was so stationary, right? Corner above the break, top of the key. And even just watching him practice yesterday, it was different. You know, it's, it's catching and making a move off of that into a pull up and doing something. I mean, doing something much more forward than, than center. And I'm really curious to see what that looks like in action. And I don't quite frankly Bummed. We can't see that tonight or right. probably any time in the next week. But I do need to remind myself that I think that the offensive part of his game is maybe where he's going to need to adjust a lot, too. It isn't going to be as much of the post that we've seen for Carl from six years. It isn't going to be it's not going to be all Carl as, as the offense as Ant grows. D'Lo probably takes a bigger role offensively in this group. And then Rudy, even though he isn't a quote unquote offensive player like he is so intimately involved in it. And how does Carl kind of respond to that? Right. Well, having ripped Carl for his drama queen tendencies, I will say that I don't worry about wherever he wants to play on offense. I mean, if, if, if he winds up being a more of a corner three guy or more of a you know, weak side slot three guy or deferring to D'Lo and uh, Rudy on the pick and roll, he's an incredible uh, side option, um, Carl is going to be fine on offense. I think what I, again, worry about is the toggling is never going to be Rudy. I mean, Rudy's going to play drop sure. when he's in the game, so the toggle is Carl will play drop when he's playing with Rudy, and then the 12 minutes or so that he's on the floor as the center, that's when he'll toggle. Um, so, you know, my concerns are more about um, you have two really, really, I mean, the way Finch puts it, you've got the best role man in the NBA. You've got the best popping big man in the NBA. Um, you're going to be fine on offense. On defense, you're going to incorporate somebody who many smart coaches played 
in drop coverage simply because they did not envision him flying all over the floor. And he's going to have to do that sometimes. Um, when another team plays small, um, even if they have one big, if they play small at the 4-3-2, Carl is going to have to play a small in space. But or how many of those smalls can actually hurt him? Well, that's a good question. I mean, um, it. I think they will be more likely to hurt the, the Wolves if Carl has to guard them. I'm interested to see what Finch comes up with as I mean, a wrinkle. I, I think there's like a handful of, like, say, Boston. Obviously, really good team. You got Jason Tatum at power right. forward. Carl's probably going to struggle there. But can't you just kind of adjust off of that and put Jaden on, on Jason Tatum and then, you know, functionally hide Carl I would say on, there's like, a Grant majority Williams? of teams that Carl will not be a huge liability on defense. I think that there are a majority of teams that way. And I think having Rudy on the floor is actually going to really improve their offense more than their defense in some ways, simply because he replaces Jaden McDaniels um, in the dunker spot. There's probably no better dunker. I mean, he led the NBA in field goal percentage. He led the NBA in roll percentage on a pick and roll. Right. Uh, he's, we always talk about Carl being historically great true shooting percentage um, in the top 10 all time. Well, Rudy's right next to him. Rudy may be in the top 10 himself. It's not through threes, and he only shoots from three feet away, but he is so good at that particular skill that the Wolves' offense, I think, is going to be extremely dynamic. You're going to improve D'Lo because D'Lo is a pick-and-roll guy. You're going to have Ant being maybe the third guy they worry about on some nights, which sounds pretty dangerous to me. That's a problem. And, uh, you know, you've got Jade McDaniels who's improving um, as your, you know, last option on offense. I don't worry about the offense at least thus far. I mean, you know, we, anything can happen. We haven't seen this team yet, but what worries me is having two bigs on the floor and one of them has historically not been a great defender um, in a league that likes to move the ball around the perimeter quickly and shoot from outside. So that's my worry. Um, I do think the offense will more than compensate. I am bullish on this team. I just don't think it's going to be the fact that we added the three-time defensive player of the year over the last five years. Um, you would expect that the leap forward on defense would be phenomenal. And I think it's just going to be significant. With, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, they finished, what, 15th or 14th last I think year? I think 13th last yeah. year. So like, what, what will they finish defensively, if you had to guess? I don't know. I mean, I keep going back to the idea that Rudy had nobody around him in Utah, and they, they finished 10th. top 10 almost every year. Yeah, I think last year was the worst of their time, and they were 10th. Yeah, so, I mean, so it's tempting to say they'll be in the top 10, but I do think that it is such an obvious target to go after a too-big offense in the modern NBA with a certain style going in that I think the Wolves are going to have to figure that out in the first six weeks or so how to make that not an Achilles heel. Again, if any of you guys do have questions, just walk up yeah, here. Yeah, by all means. Maybe, Tom, you can kick we us love off. questions. Um, but there, there is a game tonight. Yeah. And it's a, I don't know if all of you here have heard, but D'Angelo Russell is also not playing in this game tonight. So, <laughs> what? oh, no. It'll be all right. Shocker. Um, there is, 
you know, we are going to still start to see the outlines of this team. I think, honestly, more of the interesting questions up as we dig into the team are beyond, you know, beyond the, the starting lineup. What is, what is Kyle Anderson? What is Torian Prince now that he's a small forward? Does Jalen Noel play? Those sort of things. I do think the one it, to look at the glass half full is to be, we're going to actually get a good look at these guys in probably these first three, four, five games. Even Nas Reed, who we probably don't anticipate being in the rotation, I'd assume he's going to start tonight. Nate Knight probably get a lot of minutes. And ultimately, at some point this season, um, that is going to be re- relevant. I like you, you sat right down in the chair there. Perfect. What, what's your name and what's your question? Steven. Hi, so, Steven. Hi. How do we uh, match up against the Clippers now that we've got Gobert? That one's going to be tough. <laughs> probably the toughest matchup. Yeah. I, uh, because it, the Clippers have probably four guys who can punish you that are not centers. I mean, they have Batum, they have Kawhi, they have Paul George, Covington. and, uh, and uh, Norman Powell or whatever. Anyway, they have guys that if you're running two bigs out there, they will make one of those bigs pay on a routine basis. And I would add to that, too, they also have Avica Zubats who, I mean, if it were like game one of a Wolves-Clippers playoff series, maybe he only plays 20 minutes in that game, that's a big body that's, you know, banging on Gobert, banging on Carl in that sort of way. So that's, I mean, just in general, why I think the Clippers are going to be dangerous is they can like so easily toggle from a pretty, because if you have Zubats at the five and then you go Paul George, Kawhi, Powell down the line, I mean, that's a physical team that can also play you really small by taking Zubats off the floor. And, you know, based on what, based on what happened with Utah, like that's kind of what exposed them the, the past few years is forcing Rudy to guard out on the perimeter, go with that five out. Like those are probably the games I'm most interested to watch this year is against the Clippers because I think we all think the Wolves are going to be good, right? It's how good can they be in terms of the overall pecking order of the league and those teams like the Clippers, like the Mavs that have punished Gobert, that is going to be telling, I think even in the regular season of like, do we have a serious problem on our hands here? Like are Cat and Rudy going to both be able to play? If they play like at the end of a game in a playoff series, I think we'll learn that in the three or four times they play them in the regular season. So, in Britt, for you, in addition to your Loretta Lynn uh, yeah. tweet today, sure. Uh, what did you? What were your big takeaways from the GM survey that went out? Oh, <laughs> I didn't know where that was. You going. led with Loretta Lynn, and then you you, you shifted over to the GM survey. Um, like, First of all, uh, Lorenda Lynn died today, um, just a, a classic, straightforward country artist uh, who is like... Yeah, round of applause for Loretta Lynn. Let's I go. mean, well, I mean, she, she's, she's one of those people that uh, came at people, her voice and her soul were in the mainstream. She was the basics. She believed in the value of the verities. You know, she's like earth or water or something. Uh, not particularly innovative, except in the fact that she was a woman at a time when women weren't playing very often in terms of the clout they had. But in terms of her style, right in the mainstream and uh, uh, quietly um, reliable as an artist. Shout as out Loretta the, Lynn. <laughs> as for the GM survey, uh, what I was struck by wasn't so much what they decided for this year, but, you know, one of the things John Schumann, who does this thing for NBA.com, who's 
by the way, a fabulous uh, guy for analytics, and you should follow him if you if you want to. But the um, he always prints what the GM survey thought last year, right? And they were terrible. I mean, they missed almost everything. Brooklyn to win it all. Brooklyn uh, to win it all, and then the best player five years ago, the best player they said would be the. Uh, the, the draft five years ago, the best player now Josh is Jackson. Josh Jackson, who is like, I, I, I don't he's think out he, of the league, right? I don't think he's in the league, yeah. yeah so there you go. So, I mean. So we're as smart as GMs. Huh? I think that's what that means. We're just as smart. <laughs> well, I, I think it means that um, we all make mistakes if we examined our uh, past over the last five years. But they did have a bad year last year. And some of that is big market bias. You know, one of my pet peeves is that. If Brooklyn does something, if you know the Lakers do something or whatever, it's immediately regarded as this big deal. I guarantee you, if if one of those a signature franchises had gotten go bare, the response would have been a lot more positive than what they responded to here in Minnesota. So even Cleveland, yeah, well, I, I mean that. Exactly. I don't know. I, I would assume as Timberwolves fans, you're just kind of at the point of not even expecting really the respect there. But the that was the odd part is that the Donovan Mitchell move to Cleveland seemed to be like semi lauded, right? And and right. they gave up what one last first round pick. Plus, like, I mean, Colin Sexton's a good player. Laurie Markkinen's a good right. player. Like, I I don't know. Maybe it's because it's, people like Cleveland more well, last year. Well, but there's some logic to it in that Mitchell was a better fit. In other words, the Gobert Cat fit wasn't as great, at right. least not on defense. Whereas Mitchell, they had their guys. I mean, they had Mobley, they had Jared Allen. They Two had, bigs. I mean, uh, what? The, that's kind of the same infrastructure as the Wolves are doing, or the Milwaukee Bucks who wanted. I mean, that that's the point of the whole two bigs thing. Just as a side tangent, we'll get to your question here in a second. But like, I haven't seen the Bucks referenced hardly at all in comparison to the to what the Timberwolves are right now. Right. And when I look at Milwaukee and what made Milwaukee a champion two years ago is had so much to do with the fact that they were so big and so bruising and, you know, Brooke Lopez could space the floor, not to the level Carl could. And then Giannis is an excellent defender in, in a way similar, but different to Rudy. It, It doesn't, that part of it seems to be brushed over. Was Milwaukee a flash in the pan? I mean, and Giannis is just like, Not what would you. even be the explanation of why that was a flash? Uh, I mean, I can, I'm not even sure this is devil's advocacy. I would say that uh, Drew Holiday and uh, Middleton are better yeah. threes and fours than what this team has right now. We expect Ant to rise, uh, but Ant right now on paper is not as good as Drew Holiday or Middleton. Right. Um, but they won a championship, and the expectation for the Wolves is like 47 or 48 wins. That, it. It's that gap that, that, that I don't understand. I'm not sure they were penciled in for a champion until they won the champion. If the Wolves win a championship mm-hmm. or get to the finals, That's a good point. you'll see the Wolves being respected next year. Right. This episode is brought to you by Land & Lore, the premier men's skincare brand that everyone is talking about. Finally, men are starting to realize that how you look determines how you feel, and how you feel determines your mindset for success. If you've never tried a skincare product made for men, you have no idea how amazing you can look and feel. So if you've been one of the guys using a bar of soap, it's time to upgrade. Land & Lore is made with all-natural botanicals, nutrients, and essential oils. It's safe, easy to use, feels, and smells amazing. 
Landon Lore guarantees if your face doesn't both feel better and look better in 14 days, they'll give you a refund, no questions asked. The company is founded by Mark Haysbrook, who started and then sold Hayneedle.com to Mark Laurie. So a bit of a Timberwolves connection here as well. But the primary reason to try Land and Lore is because everyone loves it. There's no risk. And you get a 15% discount by using Dane MBA at checkout. I've personally started using both the shower kit and the face kit, and I love it. I've never really used skincare stuff before, but now that I've used Land and Lore, I'll never not use skincare. I just feel better. So check out landandlore.com today before they sell out. Again, that's Dane NBA, no spaces for 15% off at landandlore.com. That's L-A-N-D-L-O-R-E.com. Let's talk about today's sponsor, Let's Get Checked. Let's Get Checked makes professional health testing easy by letting you get tested without having to visit a healthcare provider. Recent studies show that men's testosterone levels are dropping substantially since the 1980s at about an average of 1% per year. If your father was 30 when you were born, your testosterone levels could be 30% lower than his are. Low testosterone can have all types of health effects on men. It can cause you to lose muscle mass in your body. It can affect your mood, your memory, and even your sex drive. Let's Get Checked is a worldwide leader in at-home testing kits, and their male hormone tests let you easily test your testosterone levels. These results are reviewed by a clinician. Once your sample is in the lab, confidential results will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. Let's Get Checked labs are CLIA approved and CAP accredited, which are the highest ranking levels of accreditation. So if you want to test your hormone levels without having to leave your home, Visit trylgc.com slash Dane and get 25% off your test using code Dane25. Or look for that link and promo code in the show notes of this episode. That's trylgc.com slash Dane and get 25% off your test using code Dane25. What do you got for us? Uh, hello. Yeah. So this year, I'm kind of wondering, going into a big season for the Wolves, coming off the fun season that was last year. You know, Vandal stepped up really in a big way when nobody was really expecting it, I guess, just because he started out the season on the bench, going back to that opener against Houston. It was uh, J.O. starting there. And then he ended up starting nearly 70 games last year. So I guess to get to my question here, going into this season, who do you guys feel like is the sneakiest player on this entire roster to kind of play a big role that maybe people are kind of sleeping on or just not really expecting big things out of? Can I take that first? It's an easy answer, I think. Uh, because there's a lot of candidates. Uh, I think the attention paid to Gobert and to, you know, arguably the, the starting five, Tim Connolly bugs me sometimes because um, he doesn't say a lot in public and, and, and shines on a lot of answers, doesn't get into de detail. But I will say that I think his um, his middle to bottom roster acquisitions have been really, the more I looked at him, really good. I mean, Kyle Anderson, they were going to get before uh, they even made the Gobert trade. Um, he is a, you know, Swiss Army Knight, to use a cliche. He can be a secondary playmaker to the point where he can be a point guard if somebody's trying to take away the point guard on the floor. Um, he can guard, I would say, two through five. I don't think he's quick enough to guard a, a good point guard, but he can go up to five um, and guard, you know, people that aren't Leviathans, people who are NBA centers rather than freaks of nature. Um, so I would say him is the obvious answer, but I, I wrote about this today. I mean, Jalen Noel is the ninth man 
when Jalen Noel is the ninth man on your team after what he did last year, that's a deep team. But what makes it even deeper is he's got two guys that are going to really press him for minutes. The theoretical 10th and 11th men on this team are Austin Rivers, who, who I was disparaging as recently as 10 days ago, and, um, and also Bryn Forbes. Um, Rivers' media day performance totally blew me away. I just thought it was a master class in how to ingratiate yourself with people. Um, and when I went back and looked at what he said about guarding Curry in the playoffs last year and his emphasis on defense and how he doesn't give a shit about um, anything other than wins and the fact he's a coach's son. And, and it doesn't, that doesn't feel like loaded or fake because he's been doing that for the past two seasons. I, a, a guy named Rob Mahoney from The Ringer was in town, which was wonderful. It's always great to get really smart outside market writers because we talk to each other all the time and we know each other's biases and everything. Get a new guy in. And um, he was mentioning that both Rivers and Forbes have managed to get significant minutes on winning teams despite being journeymen the last few years. Uh, Forbes has never averaged below 17 minutes a game in his career, except for his rookie year. And Rivers is right up there too, like uh, 20 minutes or so. Uh, these guys know they're smart veterans who look at a roster and say, how can I contribute? And um, that's what I will try to do because I want to be, you know, the, the options for, especially for someone like Rivers is retirement, assistant coach, or two and a half million dollars. So <laughs> he's going to figure it out. So um, I would say that those two guys, Forbes and Rivers and Kyle Anderson, are my three picks um, as somebody who may be under the radar now that are going to be really good. Yeah, to, to extend like the Vando one, if I had to pick somebody who we maybe anticipate to be out of the rotation to start, I think Austin Rivers is the one I would pick. I just think there's there's bandwidth on this team defensively to add, right? And and I think that's what you'll I think that's what everyone's gonna notice about Austin Rivers if and when he plays in the first month of the season is like that's what he cares about the most. Um just general like leaps on this team, kind of like that isn't the player I anticipated. I would say Jaden McDaniels. And I obviously he played a ton last year, but I think he has I think he has the op opportunity to change his perception as much as as anybody on this this roster does in a in a positive way this season. Anybody got another question here? We got somebody. Okay, we're waiting around the corner. Here we go. Okay. Uh, so to piggyback on his question, uh, but really, Jaden, Pat, Bev, Hustle, Hart made so many games different with their actions, for sure, with their effort. Who's going to do that this season? I think it's a it? different type of leadership this year. Like with Vando and Pat Bev and those guys you're talking about, it was so like leadership by like fire or be, by being fiery. And I think with Rudy, like you are going to have leadership through seriousness and just somebody who's kind of, like, I mean, that was part of Pat Bev too. Like we all saw at the games, him screaming and shooting the t-shirt cannon and all those sort of things. But if we're being real about where leadership shows up and like the tide that raises all boats in that sort of way, like that stuff is done in practice. That stuff is done by managing the personalities of a group. And I think, I think Rudy, and even in the like brief exposure we've had to him, he's just going to, he isn't like overexposing himself. Right. He isn't like, he knows he's good. Right. And, and his belief, 
is that his professionalism, his high caliber of play can bring sincere, real leadership that will be fairly similar to what those guys did last year. I, I'm not, I'm honestly, I'm not too worried about that element of it because I think sometimes with a fiery personality too, that can end up butting heads like Rudy. I don't know. Rudy kind of gets labeled as a malcontent, but I think for the most part, he's just like a good soldier. I would mostly agree with what you said. Most. I would say that there are um, fiery guys. I think that people look at this roster and they say they're missing Pat Bev, uh, who was the brains of the, you know, crazy uh, fly around mentality. And Vando was the hamstrings of the crazy fly around mentality. And there's room for both of those With his little to cape. be replaced. Huh? With his little cape. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a really inside joke. That's a really inside right. joke. Yep. Okay. But um, I, I would say that um, Austin Rivers wants to be Pat Bev. I think he's an outspoken guy. Um, yeah. That will have to come with minutes, um, and I think he's also smart enough to realize that. So if Austin Rivers is getting twelve minutes, he's not going to be a Pat Bev like figure. If he's getting like twenty, he might be. Um, I also agree with uh, the idea of what he was saying about quiet leadership. Rudy Gobert and Kyle Anderson are two guys who are consummate pros who've played on a number of winning teams. Kyle Anderson played for San Antonio and Memphis, two teams that always overachieved on their talent. Um, and some of that has to do with structure and discipline. I think he's an extremely disciplined, smart player. He doesn't say a lot. When I asked Finch who would kind of replace the Pat Bev, kind of like what you just said, um, or he just said, sorry about that. Um, he mentioned Kyle and Rudy as two guys. I think they need some feariness. I think they need some uh, people who will tell them to get after it. And I think that uh, Rivers may be one of those guys. I think that D'Lo and Ant, there's room for them to be more vocal. Again, Trash talk or big talk, you know, chest bumping, locker room stuff only works if you're getting after it on both ends of the court, if you're stepping up at big moments. I mean, players know more than anybody, nor, more than the most knowledgeable fan, more than we, who is really doing shit out there. And so the people who raise their voice at crucial times that are doing shit are the people who will be leaders. And that's why he mentioned Rudy and Kyle. Um, but I also think there are some fiery guys who may fill that bill. Got another question here. Nice t-shirt. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I'm Cal. Nice to meet both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, listening to like um, national media talk about the acquisition of Gobert for the Timberwolves. A lot of them say that it's a big bet on Anthony Edwards, which makes sense. If Ant just kind of takes his normal like small step in the third season the wolves will probably be this high 40s low 50s ish win team maybe a window around in the playoffs that sort of thing and if he takes that big leap that's how they actually become championship contenders but clearly chris finch and uh tim conley made a big bet on Jaden mcdaniels by not including him in the trade and sending out all of this other draft compensation so they didn't have to um and looking at the starting lineup Jaden mcdaniels is kind of 
the black sheep, I would guess. He has achieved a lot less in the NBA than the other four starters on the floor. And last season, if I remember correctly, Finch did put Jaden McDaniels in the starting lineup on day one, maybe with Josh Okogie before he got to his bread and butter with mm-hmm. Vando and Pat Bev. And then when Jaden made a move to the bench, he kind of got that Jordan McLaughlin flow going. That, sure. that, that really helped him along. And I know on one of your recent pods, Dane, you said you were more ambitious on some of Jaden's other offensive stuff rather than his shooting, some of his on-ball slithery, get-to-the-rim sort of thing. But I guess I'm just curious how much room you think there's going to be for that in the starting lineup this year when you have D'Lo, you have Ants, and as you were saying, Cat's doing less of this standstill. He might get into his bag a little bit more on offense. And just how Jaden McDaniels might mesh in that role with the starting unit and if something happens like last year where he doesn't, who could potentially come off from the bench and fit better with those starters because it seems like Kyle Anderson might have some of those same problems w- with synergy with the starting unit that Jaden could potentially have. Sure. I, I think the those parts of Jaden's game that, that we're talking about are kind of like being in the corner, activating yourself from the corner, crashing the glass, the, you know, your classic tip dunk, your classic like timely cut in that sort of way. Those are the things that almost only a fifth guy in the, in the starting lineup can do. And I think Jaden has the size and athleticism to present himself to do those things more often than maybe your typical fifth starter could, who might only be, might only be a corner shooter guy or might only be an athlete who can kind of play in the dunker spot. Like I'm not saying Jaden is a perfect player. I, I still question his jump shot a lot, but well, that was loud. Um, <laughs> but I do think this sort of mixture of of his game because it he is kind of a shooter and he's kind of a slasher i think that's kind of what you want in in this starting lineup with the idea that as finch said to you a year ago brit that he can stack skills on top of that because brit you said like this is a three four year experiment like this roster is going to probably look different two years from now and Jaden will take on a bigger role as probably someone in the starting lineup leaves or the roster changes but for this season I think those small things is all they want out of the the fifth role I don't think Jaden's going to average 17 points a night I don't think you want him to do that I I think you want him to do the little things and to guard they need Jaden to guard like who is going to guard at the point of attack without fouling (laughs) yeah without fouling go ahead Britt um I think Chris Finch and Jaden McDaniels are joined at the hip and have been ever since Chris Finch told me a year and a half ago that it may be a little bit ambitious, but the comp for him was Scottie Pippen. Um, That's a good one. And I think that when Chris Finch saw that McDaniels was struggling, especially with fouls in the first dozen games of the year, and pulled him from the starting lineup, it was not a demotion. It was some coach protecting his 21-year-old player and knowing that if I work this guy a different way, he will come back stronger because that's my investment in him. And who was more relaxed and effective at both ends of the court, the playoffs last year, than Jaden McDaniels? He's 21 years old. I mean, I hear the talk about Anthony Edwards, and I'm an ant guy. I think he's a fabulous guy. Um, But the Wolves have two guys who are not done with their rookie deal who are really, really good. Ant needs a lot of work on defense. Jaden needs a lot of work on offense. But they have a coach who's a smart coach who knows 
how to work both of them in their weakness on the floor and will give them confidence. I think my biggest worry with uh, Ant, to the beginning part of your question, is that D'Lo will be very effective on the pick and roll with uh, Rudy and, and Ant's development as a half-court playmaker will be stunted. That's a great problem to have. And um, injuries have a way of creating opportunities. Um, you never know what happens in an NBA season. Crazy things can happen. But I, I don't worry about Jaden McDaniels, uh, his fit, because he's going to outlast most of the people on the roster right now. His defense already is pretty phenomenal for somebody his age. He's got the length. He can guard a two um, and not have it be a stretch. And he's 6'10". Uh, so when you have a guy like that, um, the rest is gravy. And so I would argue that there's a reason why they punted two first-round picks instead of giving up Jade McDaniels. And John Krasinski wrote a great story in The Athletic about their intentional development of Jade McDaniels, like their intentional development of Anthony Edwards. We've got smart people in good positions. It's a, I mean, I've covered the Wolves since, uh, you know, 1990, uh, I guess it is. And so uh, it's a very rare thing to see people in decision-making positions not only making good decisions on the spot, but making good decisions in terms of preparation and in terms of laying groundwork. Again, this is a four-year experiment. Jade McDaniels is an eight-year project for this Timberwolves. Right. So um, I like the four years. When it comes to Jaden, I really like the eight years. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we've got another question here. Again, I can't tell how many people are lined up for a question, but if you do, we'll go here for about 20 more minutes. If you've got a question, just get in line, and we'll chop it up. Hey, guys. What's up? You look more like 50 than 70. I'll just say that. <laughs> uh, my question is, if Gobert decides to practice with the third stringers and then destroy the starters and then set up an interview with Rachel Nichols and everything goes bad after a month like it did with Butler, where do we go from there if everyone starts the, the turmoil in the locker room? Yeah, I mean, I think, like, in, in all seriousness, there's a chance that this experiment doesn't work, right? Oh, without a doubt. The, the Rudy Carl one, and, and I think, like, the as bad as that would be, like, the glass half full is you do have a chance to recuperate some of what you gave up, um, probably by trading Carl down the line, you know? And you do have, I used to always talk about those, the two timelines, right? The, the idea of Cat and D'Lo, and then the idea of Ant and Jaden, the Ant and Jaden window, as Britt just said, eight years, like that exists in almost in perpetuity. So if, probably a big if, if this doesn't work, you do have, you're not going to necessarily just be out of first round picks forever. I know Carl's contract is bigger now and maybe that will hinder some of the trade value if that would happen. But I do think if this doesn't work, that's the natural pivot point. Do you agree with that, Britt? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it is very, very difficult for this team to finish with like less than 30 wins with Rudy Gobert on the team. Utah got rid of him before they got rid of Donovan Mitchell specifically because if you have Rudy Gobert on your roster, you're not going to be able to tank. If you have 
Good point. One of the best defensive players in the NBA guarding the rim and rolling to the rim at an elite level. It's like a 40-win floor. You could not be a bad team. So I don't worry about the pratfall. The pratfall for this team is choking, quite frankly. They are a lot less developed psychologically than they are talent-wise and physically. Rudy has a huge question mark over his head for the playoffs and for the fact that he's a great regular season guy. Uh, the narrative is that can, he can be played off the floor. The counter narrative is that only happens if he has bad defensive people around him. But the bottom line is he has yet to grab a commensurate number of wins in important postseason games relative to his talent and reputation. Carl Anthony Towns, same thing. Those are the two best players on the team. Um, Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels both had really good playoffs, um, but they weren't the guy. Um, there is a potential for a couple of injuries to go wrong, a couple of bad losses to happen, some internal friction to go wrong, uh, where this team could become dysfunctional. I've seen enough of it in my time covering the Wolves to know that that's always an option. But I will say that it is as foolproof a roster as you can have. And if they decide this experiment won't work, they're going to be in the same position that Utah was in when they traded Gobert. It's going to be that we're good, but we're not good enough. It's not going to be that, holy shit, we've won 24 games. That's not going to happen. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. But there's a question. I mean, this is the most talented Timberwolves roster ever? Just straight talent? Uh, probably. I mean, yeah, I would say so. That's so, 0304. I mean, the thing about 0304, Wally was hurt. Uh, when Wally came back, he was a sixth or seventh man. They had Fred Hoiberg. They had uh, Ola Candy and Irvin Johnson at right. the five. They, they correctly punted Ola Candy. That roster was a really, really good roster. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm comparing the current roster to the Western Conference uh, finalists. So sure. I would say it's a pretty damn good roster. Yeah, and, and so if, if, that, if we just assume that most talented team in franchise history, when do I start looking at it like how does this go wrong? The, the way what I would say is it's not necessarily a matter of 
of how good they are and how well they play, it, it ultimately comes down to personalities. And if we get to a point where this doesn't work, I think it is as much about those four personalities not all clicking into place, which is an, an open and fair question. Rudy, fair or not, has some baggage of how he connects to his teammates from the Utah days. How is Carl going to respond to arguably a better center being on the same team as him right now? You know, Ant is coming into his own sort of NBA adulthood. How is he going to grow as a personality? D'Angelo has a history of being situationally prickly. Like, right. if this doesn't work, to me, it's not about the basketball. I don't question Nori and Finch's ability to put together schemes. I think they'll be decent enough at that. It's ultimately... If it doesn't work, I think it's because just head start knocking. Right. Psychology more of a danger than talent. Exactly. Are we well, going lightning round now? Lightning round. Yep. Right. There you go, Brett. Right. I'll go quick with this one. Uh, just think about Towns and how they were able to defend him last year. I just picture him being in the post, getting doubled, and right. kind of doing that over-the-head throw. Yeah, thing. with Rudy lurking. Yeah. How does that look now? It looks like you have a way better player in the Vando role. I mean, Vando did not have the... Like, typically, I think if you're, you're coaching there and you have Carl kind of in the post extended, right, at like 15 feet from the block kind of posting up, like, Vando did not have the ability to flash to the nail, flash in the middle of the paint, and just, even if Carl could have hit him right there, Vando wasn't a strong finisher unless he was dunking, right? So now with Rudy, you just have such a bigger player, a, a bigger target to hit, and someone who, not that Rudy has like a great, like, hook game, floater game, stuff like that, but I think if and when they want to go to Carl in the post, and if and when the team decides to double Carl aggressively like they did last year, Rudy flashing there is very different than, than it is with Vando. And not to even get to the other side of the floor where, where it's more important, um, I, I, I just think that's going to be a big difference in that, in that setup. If you put Carl Anthony Towns with his back to the basket with Rudy Gobert on the floor, it's malpractice. And that's one of the problems they had last year is that when Carl was backing up he couldn't see the double teams. He saw the double teams and thought he could think his way out of it rather than taking the easy option to just get rid of the damn ball. Right. So I think that now that Gobert is on the team, you face Carl up. And if you try to double team Carl facing up and Rudy Gobert is on the floor, everything he just said makes total sense. And if you single him, then he can either drive, pass, and step out and kick. There's all kinds of options. So... If that's a problem this year, it's a lost opportunity that is bad coaching or bad execution, one or the other. All right, so another question here. Yeah, um, I'm mostly just wondering. So I've seen some pretty cool plays out of Josh Minot sure. in the Summer League. And I'm just kind of curious what you think the ceiling for someone like that is. I'll just say that's the exact type of player I think you need to add when you are a team that's going to be really capped out, right? Like you're not going to have draft picks. You're not going to have a lot of room to add free agents anywhere down the line. And you have Josh Minot, who's making a couple bucks over a million dollars this year and will be for the next four seasons. Like, do we know that Josh Minot is going to be an NBA player? No, but he has the athleticism, physical profile that could be where we're talking, you know, he's on the same J-Mac sort of Nas Reed, Jalen Noel, group to special type contract and if and when that hits and and if josh minot in three years even can be the seventh man when this team is kind of like ascending um that's huge if it only costs two million dollars so I, I not to look at it exclusively as dollar and cents but i think that's a big part of the minot thing and that's that's huge 
landing him in the second round. Like second round is where I want to take a swing at a guy who can who can have that upside and Minot at least physically appears to have that. When you're on a when you're at the races and you're betting a two to one favorite and you really like the two to one favorite, but you've got a sixty to one horse to show and you really think he can finish third, that's the horse you're rooting for. Josh Minot is a sixty to one shot. Josh Minot has a reasonable chance to be a really good NBA player in a lot of intriguing ways. Um, and I think he's in the McDaniel mode. I, I, I won't say he's there. He's, he's very raw. But I was really impressed on media day with the fact that he seems like a thoughtful, mature guy. He plays out on the court like his hair is on fire. I think if you can reconcile those two things and get the brain a little bit more involved and the fire only slightly tamped down so it's a nice red coal, then I think you've got a player. I will right, take one more question here. Thank you, sir. Um, I just have a couple of questions about Pat Bev. Yeah. So I would say I think you would force this team to mature last season. I'm just wondering, do you think that would carry over into next season? And then... I would say his move to the Lakers nationally is viewed as a very good thing, but I also am very skeptical, like the Pat Bev effect. I wouldn't say, I don't believe it would work with well-established players like LeBron and Westbrook, because I think it carried over well into this team specifically. I think Pat Bev did something in Minnesota he never did in his career. And I think coming from Minnesota, he's viewed in a light, I wouldn't say that's fair. Yeah, I mean, Pat Bev's kind of been hated on his, his whole career. He would He would say that himself. I think I think nationally people are going to learn a lot about Pat Bev that he's not just a corner three point shooter and defender guy. Um, I think we saw him have the opportunity to show a little more of that offensive creation. And when I think about the Lakers, particularly when LeBron's not on the floor, like you are going to need additional creators. And I, I mean, Pat Bev is kind of a ticking time bomb in terms of age, as all players are once they become thirty four. But if he's physically similar to what he was last year, I think he's going to be a I actually think it's going to be a really impactful player for the Lakers. I think it's a high-risk, high-reward acquisition. I think that Pat Bev has a huge displacement value. Mm. I think if Pat Bev doesn't get what he wants, there's trouble behind the scenes. And I think that when LeBron James is running your team and Anthony Davis is your 1A, Pat Bev isn't going to always get what he wants. Whether or not Pat Bev can accept that and understand he's in the mecca of one of the two meccas of basketball and that sometimes he just needs to shut up and play, um, that will be good for him. I doubt that will happen with Pat Bev. I mean, I love him, but I also think that he's in a very high-risk, high-reward place, and I have no idea how that's going to go. I will right, we'll do one more here from, from Tom, who is the head brewer here at Falling Knife Brewing. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I just want to say how happy, excited, proud I am to have Brett and Dane here doing this as, you know, hardcore Timberwolves fans, as the three of us owners. This is huge for us. And this season is going to be amazing. Uh, we've been trying to push this like Timberwolves bar thing forever. And I think like, you know, the personal and business relationship now we have this year with Dane and the Dane Moore podcast, we're really excited about. So let's hear for Brett and Dane.
So I'm going to ask a controversial question. There we go. There we go. <laughs> so this might be the most depth we've ever had, potentially. Maybe. <laughs> Who doesn't make the cut? Who doesn't make the cut? Well, yeah, between I mean, training camp and preseason. Who doesn't make the cut? Well, the, the person I've been saying is, and if you guys do listen to the podcast, like Nas Reed is, uh, as a player has been somebody I've always been really interested in, someone we've got to know over the, I think he's the longest tender Timberwolf outside of Cat. Um, I don't think he makes a lot of sense on this roster anymore. And so whether that's, I mean, it's kind of tough to pull off a trade here in the next two weeks. I don't know. Some trades have been going down. I think he, like, if you just cut somebody, if you just cut Nate Knight, like, that's gone, right? If you, or even Austin Rivers is on a partially guaranteed contract, he's just gone. Um, I think Nate Knight, you could trade for something, which his team needs to, you know, I think needs to be intentional about after the Gobert trade and, and mortgaging all their picks. But, uh, but Nas, would be, Nas would be the one I wouldn't be shocked if he's not on the team at the beginning of the season or, or some point here soon. I also think guys like P.J. Dozier, uh, Eric Paschal could find themselves in the mix here too. It's deep, deep down the roster, but that's kind of Wolves' world. Like they end up getting their way into the rotation at times too. What do you think, Brett? I think it's up to the rest of the NBA. Yeah, what, are the, what does the rest point. of the NBA think of Eric Paschal? What does the NBA think of DJ Dozier? I mean, there may be a slew of injuries on a good team, and they say, "Hey, I want that guy as our thirteenth man," and then. It's a win-win. The Wolves make an easy decision that this guy isn't for us, and that guy maybe maybe he doesn't thrive, but he's on a good team all of a sudden. Um, when you get down to that level, when you're getting down to the difference between 13 and 18, yes, it's a really deep roster, but I agree with Dane. One of the easiest places to trim you have two phenomenal big men. They have been all NBA, one or the other, four straight years. So you don't have to worry about the third string guy being great. Um, you've got two of them. You've got Nate Knight and you've got Nas Reed. I know they talk about them as being fours. That's bullshit, really. They're not really fours. Not one of them are fours. <laughs> well, so, I mean, could you make the argument with, you know, something to be said about, you know, young potential versus a veteran player that knows their role as a role player, like Austin Rivers. You sure. know what I mean? Yeah, I would not punt Austin Rivers for the sake of a young guy. Um, I will tell you, quite frankly, this could turn out to be really, really a stupid opinion in retrospect down yeah. the road. But I think Wendell Moore... I really liked him on draft night. I saw him in summer league. And unless he gets a hell of a lot better, uh, I think that was a mistake. So, um, you know, I'll just say that right out loud. If Wendell Moore turns out to be great, I'll be the first to admit I'm wrong. Won't be the first time. But right now I would say that uh, if Wendell Moore somehow finds himself not on this team, uh, that would – I would take Austin Rivers over Wendell Moore on this roster right now if you had if you put a gun to my head and said choose one. I don't disagree, but you have a hat on that you might have to eat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Will you stay here for a second? I just we're, we're 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 kind of wrapping up here, but I do, Tom. We can kind of bounce this off of you again. Just thank you to Falling Knife for uh, for letting this happen. It is something we're going to do here throughout the throughout the year, but 
you guys do have your third anniversary party uh, this Saturday. So if you've had, had fun here, maybe Tom can explain to you uh, what else is going to be going on at Falling Night. So yeah, Saturday, third anniversary. You know, we've, we've existed, most of our existence through COVID, which has been weird. Uh, but yeah, a whole bunch of bands, a whole bunch of new releases. In fact, uh, my band uh, of 25 years is playing on Saturday. It should be fun. Okay, Tom. Um, yeah, it's just, we're really excited about things coming up, uh, you know, and then just doing this and, and making sure like everybody knows here that it is very important to us that we show all of the Timberwolves games. We have sound on, uh, you know, we, we made it like we've been trying to get this going from day one, but with COVID, it's just been really hard, you know? So, yeah, I, I think, and if, again, if you've been listening to the pod, I've been talking about following night for a while. I think it is just a cool concept where, you guys are a group of friends who love beer and love the Timberwolves and have built this place that can uh, can facilitate both of those things. So on um, behalf of Britt and myself, thank you for having us. And uh, yeah, let's let's make this a, let's make this a Timberwolves bar. Yeah. And thank you all for being here. Um, we're going to hang out. Obviously, we've got the game here starting in uh, four minutes where we'll watch the Iowa Wolves play the Miami Heat. Um, <laughs> But uh, uh, thank you again for being here. We'll, we'll hang out. Uh, come say hello. Um, and thank you, Britt, for coming. Uh, until next time, I'm Dane. He's Britt. Peace out. How I'm feeling now, but never stop, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the